Welcome to Yolitics, the home of cold beer and hot takes on Texas politics. Hey there, welcome back to another episode of Yolitics. You know, it was um, last week this time. Everyone was anxious getting ready for the election. Yeah. And, and and here we are, and the anxiety is gone, man. Well, I wouldn't say the is anxiety it? is gone for the for the two parties because there's you know it, it's it's like in some places things are still either being counted or considered or runoffs or you know maybe right. contested. Uh, so I don't know if it's done for them. It's kind of done for us. And, and maybe the anxiety still exists if if your candidate did not win. I don't know. Yeah, I'm sure it does. And yeah. uh, we had uh, some of that happening here in Texas. Uh, we also had some uh, folks very, very happy about the way things turned out. Yeah, indeed. So do you vote, Wheeler? I do. You vote, don't you? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I do too. There, there's some, you know, some journalists who don't vote. There are some podcast uh, hosts, I don't know any, who don't vote. Um, but I've never understood that. Yeah, there's a lot of why, I'll say there's why. a lot of Texans who don't vote. I mean, even though uh, turnout <laughs> turnout this time was, I think, better than a lot of people thought it was going to be going into Election Day, just because we saw such a lackluster early vote. Uh, but, you know, people showed up on uh, Election Day and, you know, it you know we got, had over eight million people vote in Texas. But then you compare that to the fact that, you know, more than twice that number is registered to vote in Texas. And you realize that the minority of voters are making the big decisions here in this state. Yeah, indeed. So 17 and a half million people, I believe, registered in the state. Mm-hmm. Eight million or so voting. That's oh, come on, guys. Yeah. I mean, come on. We need to get uh, y'all takes out to a wider audience. I think if we could inform more people, if we could get all eight million we could get the others to the polls, actually. You know what? I don't know. I and, and I think, too, you know, look at how much money is spent in these races and the, the ads are just playing constantly on TV. And then you see these, uh, you know, little snippets where, you know, somebody goes to the door and knocks and, and they're talking to someone and the person's like, yeah, I heard there. What what election is it again? And. And it's like, how do you not know about this? This is like blasting right. on the airwaves day and night. Like, how do you not know what's happening? That that was amazing because th- that happened. There, there was a video I saw someone sent me. Is it the Will, Will Ferrell? Ferrell. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking yeah. of. Will Ferrell and Amy O'Rourke, Beto O'Rourke's wife. And they were campaigning, I think, somewhere in Fort Bend County, maybe in Harris County. Mm-hmm. And they were knocking on doors. And everyone was just, oh, my gosh, is this really Will Ferrell here? And I remember they, they talked to one young woman. I believe she was a mother, probably looked in the late 20s, early 30s. And uh, Amy O'Rourke introduced herself saying, my husband is running for governor. His name is Beto O'Rourke. And the woman responds saying, yeah, I, I've heard there's an election coming up. There's something going on with that. <laughs> and then she said something about Roe versus Wade. She said, yeah, yeah, I've, I've heard something about that. Unbelievable to me that do you not ride down the freeway with your radio on? Do you not hear any of these ads? Do you not talk to anybody? I mean, do you not get on Facebook or Twitter or turn on the news or, I mean, it's, it's everywhere. And, you know, I, I I don't know. I just, I'm one of those people who just thinks, you know, even if you don't love every candidate, chances are there is a candidate in a race that you might be interested in supporting. And it just, it, right. it just seems wrong to me to not be part of the process. If you're going to live in no. this country, I think you should do it. And, you know, I'm sure I'll get people who go, it's their right, whatever. It is their right. It's totally their right to sit it out. Uh, but, you know, I think democracy works best when, when people actually show up. Right. What are you drinking for this episode, Wheeler? I'm drinking one called Storm the Beaches from Southern Star. <laughs> I think that's down near the no, that's Houston area. Here. Conroe, yeah. What have you got? You know what I'm having today here, Wheeler, is um, called The Graduate. The Graduate. <laughs> Isn't that a movie? Dustin it, Hoffman. It is, it is a film, and I think this episode is going to be a master class on how you win a political campaigns. So, hmm. uh, you know, I like to be apropos with my, with my uh, cerveza choices here. I don't. I just Pro- randomly reach into the fridge and grab whatever's <laughs> first. Capri Sun, beer, whatever it might be, right? Uh, this is Freetail Brewing Company from San Antonio. So uh, I've never had this one before, but it's a a lager uh, with key lime. Oh, nice. Uh, interesting because this uh, Storm the Beaches is a salt and lime lager as well. Even though mine doesn't have well. mine doesn't have a name that fits the theme, but that's fine. Well, Storm the Beaches kind of, uh, yeah, if you it, think it, about this election. 
It's not far a stretch there, yeah. man. It's not far of a stretch. So our, our guest today, I'm really excited about this. I'm going to pull back the curtain on some of this here. So after Greg Abbott won in 2014, um, all the reporters who were covering Greg Abbott's campaign got a call saying, hey, the morning after the election in 2014 when he defeated Wendy Davis, we got a call saying, hey, uh, will you guys meet us at this hotel in downtown Austin uh, we're going to have a breakfast and we're going to have a, a debrief hmm. from the Abbott campaign. I showed up thinking maybe, you know, Greg Abbott will be there. The brand new governor of Texas will be able to interview him about his big win. That, that's not what it was at all. I think we had some some uh, some breakfast there, some donuts, some bagels. And then we heard from a guy named Dave Carney. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dave Carney is well known in political circles. He's worked for the first George H.W. Bush, the first George Bush. Um, he worked for Kay Bailey Hutchinson, Rick Perry. the former U.S. Senator. He worked for Rick Perry for a long time. He's worked for Greg Abbott. Uh, fast forward four years and 2018, same thing. Hmm. Dave Carney again says, hey, ask me anything about the campaign. So same thing now happened after uh, down in McAllen last Tuesday, uh, last Wednesday, actually, after the election. Dave Carney said, hey, guys, if you want to get together, you want to know how we did this. How did we win? How did we beat the polls? Let's get together and we'll talk about it. Do you know who Dave Carney is, Wheeler? Yeah, I mean, he's been around forever and a day. What really fascinates me with this is that usually, you know, if you figured out a way to win, and especially if you figured out a way to win repeatedly, I don't know about you, but when I figure (laughs) out how to win something, I don't go tell everybody how I did that, you know? That's the right. interesting part to me and my curiosity to you, uh, because I know that you've you know, dealt with him uh, you know, after several of these election cycles now. L- let's say that you were with the Democratic Party, Jason. Okay, Could you actually sit there and deconstruct what this guy is saying and go, oh, you know what? There's some real takeaways for us here. Yeah, you you can easily you can easily deconstruct what he's about to tell us here, and, and I do every time. There should be takeaways in there. Now, you know, the other side, Democrats might look at this and say, "Yeah, yeah, you know, that's easy for you to say." Mm-hmm. And our own polling showed something else. Our own internal dynamics. We know what we're doing. We can win elections too. But I, I don't know how you 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 turn this guy away. Dave Carney is he's the guy behind the guy. You know, mm-hmm. he's the guy pulling the levers. Uh, Mary Madeline, others were talking about how this guy, Dave Carney, always figures something out. He always figures out a way to do it. So after he had his uh, morning debrief with reporters the morning after um, down in McAllen, I, I texted him and said, hey, hey, Dave, would you be interested, any availability, any interest at all in, in spilling the beans and giving away your secrets on Yolitics? Wheeler's looking for, for some, you know, inside baseball here. <laughs> So he said, yeah, heck yeah, why not? Let's do it. And so uh, we called him up. Now, here's what I want you to listen for. There are a number of things in this conversation that I think are fascinating. Um, Number one, what would you do if you ran Beto's campaign? Okay, Hmm. you you ran Greg Abbott's campaign. You've run his campaign, uh, you know, all three gubernatorial cycles here. What would you do if you ran Beto's campaign? You had Beto as a candidate. You had $90 million that Beto had. How would you go against Greg Abbott? That was interesting there uh, as mm. well. Uh, he talks about a number of things, but th- this is just a fascinating behind-the-scenes conversation with Dave Carney, a man who knows how to win Texas elections. Take a listen. Hey, Dave, uh, big congratulations to you and your team. Uh, another one for the, for the books for you guys here. Abbott defeated Beto with almost the same margin that he defeated Lupe Valdez in 2018. What struck me about this one is that he had money. Lupe did not. Uh, Beto was well-known. Lupe was, was well-not. He was organized. She was not. H- how did you do it? Uh, it's, you know, it's really simple, fundamental, you know, the grinding part of a campaign, which is being uh, focused on the messages that the voters care about, not just the concern, but the solutions. Secondly, uh, you know, organizing across the state. And I think this year we were really successful in um, really in, uh, enhancing and, and supercharging our efforts in southern Texas, which uh, closed their margins. And uh, we were able to start to build a, an infrastructure in, in the bottom 40 county, 50 counties to try to, you know, long term investment to, to pay off, you know, for, for 
the right of center uh, down the road. I want to ask about South Texas in a moment, but but you make it sound easier than it is, I'm sure, because there there are so many campaign teams that would love to know your, your, your secret sauce here. You say the campaigns need a messenger, money, and a message. Um, I, I mean, most of them have at least two. They have a, a message and, uh, and a messenger. In this case, you were up against a candidate who was a messenger who had money, and the message is kind of where everything can go uh, great or, or go wrong, I guess, though, right? Right. I mean, I think, though, <clears throat> one, the, you need the right messenger. I mean, the, um, the exit polls by the networks, not, not our own work, but the exit polls showed the majority of Texans thought Beto was too extreme for Texas. So, you know, that you're not going to win an election with that. Two is uh, he was underwater, meaning more people were, had an unfavorable opinion of him than a, than a favorable opinion of him throughout the entire campaign. And they never did anything, you know, to try to get him back on the right track with voters. And so you had, those, you know, so he was really not a messenger. Uh, he, he was flawed. I think secondly, and most importantly, because voters will overlook that if the person's talking about the issues that matter and what they're talking about and what they care about. Um, and whether it's, you know, uh, the economy, inflation, uh, what's going on with crime and the border, you know, parental rights, things like that. Um, people, that's what people are talking about in the line at the grocery store. That's what people are talking about at work when they're sitting there refilling their coffee. That's what people talk about when they're, you know, highly agitated over the cost of meat and the lack of variety of what they normally would able to buy. The, you know, the, we still have a 30 percent um, uh, uh, deficit in baby formula. And, you know, we have a generation, you know, two generations of Americans who've grown up where they go to the grocery store and they get whatever the heck they want to get. The idea that you can go to a grocery store today and not get what you want to get is, you know, that's not how people think. And it just reminds everybody every single week that things are not on track. And, and Beto never talked about the economy. He never talked about um, the, you know, the key fundamental major issues in the state. He was talking about other things that his base loved. But the, you know, normal voters, you know, independent swing voters who decide every election and in the casual Republican, the casual Democrat voter, you know, didn't care about. And, you know, he had money, but I would say that, you know, having money, you don't need to have the most money. Candidates with the most money don't always win. We have a lot of rich candidates who are not who are unemployed. But we do have, um, you know, you having a lot of money and then spending it effectively is important. It's not just, you know, having money, it's how you spend it. And, I, you know, I would, I would argue that their campaign was completely disconnected from each other. You remember, Jason, they did this gigantic rural tour in the summer. They went to, you know, 65 towns and they were, they were going to red, red counties. And, and we were happy about that because Beto was talking every time and we get to record his, you know, crazy stuff. But they didn't, they, they didn't advertise in rural Texas. So they're running the campaign in, in the top, you know, seven or eight markets where they are on television, but they're not on television where they invest in the entire summer. And they said they were going to close the margins. We actually blew up the margins in rural Texas between Abbott and Beto from what he did in six, seven, 18. Um, and, you know, they didn't give lip service to what's going on in South Texas. And we crushed them in terms of closing the margin. We won 45 races in Southern Texas, um, you know, on Tuesday night. And they're county races, they're local races, right. you know, they don't have a great import, the New York Times is not going to write about them. But the point is, it's starting to plant and build a bench and build an infrastructure. And while they were giving lip service to it and doing these mini rallies, they weren't doing the grassroots on the ground, block and tackling, door walking, you know, engaging voters. And that's what wins campaigns. In rural Texas, you're talking about? Well, I'm talking about in rural Texas, for sure, they totally yeah. abandoned them. I was talking about Southern Texas specifically, but just around the state, you can't win Denton County if you don't work hard in Denton County. And, uh, you know, it's not just TV ads. I'm sorry, <laughs> no offense, but it's, it's also having, you know, volunteers and, and field staff, <coughs> excuse me, field staff going around, knocking on the targeted doors of people who need to be persuaded, or maybe they're low propensity uh, Republican voters who only vote in presidential years. And so, yeah, are you going to get them to turn out a midterm election? Not unlikely. But if you don't try, you're not going to get any of them. And so we work on low propensity and low propensity Republicans and the voters in the middle, which almost in every 
state in the country. Those are the people that are in charge. The, the people who don't wear a team jersey every day to work and to play, the people who haven't tattooed their party uh, logo on their forehead, those people who are on fence sitters, call them, they're the ones who decide elections and, and, and they're the ones who determine the future of their state. And they vote not because of the guy, I like the guy or I hate the guy, or I love red or I love blue. They vote because who is talking about the things I care about? Who has a plausible solution to my problems? And that's, that's how campaigns are won. It's targeting that, yeah, that, that independent voter. You guys took the Beto campaign seriously, uh, obviously. We, we could tell that. But was there ever a point at all, Dave, where you guys were concerned at all with, with what was happening? Um, there's nothing that campaign did that, like, said, oh, my gosh, what are they doing? Because they never – I mean, you probably went to some events. He talks for 50, 55 minutes about everything. Then you walk out of there. And what, what is the headline? What is the thing you're going to remember? Is that, well, you're going to talk about the crowd. You're going to talk about this. Maybe one of, one of his 12 attacks on the governor. He never had any consistency message. And they just, we don't even, you know, one of the interesting follow-ups of Lizzie is where did they actually spend that $100 bucks they had? It's, it's really, because they didn't spend it on TV. They spent about $10 million in October. You know, we spent about $20 million in October. And we kept expecting them to take all this millions ahead of this, really dump it in with a clever, effective ad. And that never worked. What are we were most concerned about the environment. You know, what, what's going on out there that we don't, a hurricane. I mean, there's not, no one controls that. And that could have a tremendous impact on what's going on. Or um, an, another tragedy at a school or, you know, the power grid uh, failing. And, you know, we had uh, record heat this summer, oh, this past summer, 11 record demand days. And then in the system, you know, the reforms that the governor did in the legislature, bipartisanly, by the way, massive Democrat support for the 14 pieces of um, legislation, those, you know, those seem to work. And, you know, it's an ongoing project to improve it. But, you know, he spent, as you remember, the first part of his campaign going around, you know, praying that the grid, the grid fails during the winter months in, in January and February of this year. So, you know, he never, and, and I guess uh, I would say that there's nothing that campaign did that we said, oh my gosh, we're not going to go to sleep tonight or we're going to do something else because we had a plan. We knew exactly what we want to do. We did our, our, our ads in this, this summer, last summer. Uh, we filmed one of them uh, uh, in the fall because we wanted to have the right person in it, Stacy. But uh, we knew exactly what we were doing advertising before we started. Um, we knew what the message would be. We knew what the governor had done in, in the sessions and before when his first seven years. We knew what voters cared about, and we never deviated from that. And um, there's nothing they, – they, they ran a very boring, remarkable, hapless campaign. If I had $90 million and I was running against Greg Abbott, I would have made the race much, much closer. What, but would, you they, what, what would you have done, Dave? <laughs> I would have focused on a positive message first to revigorate what Beto had in 18. Try, you know, not, it would never be the same. You know, you can't do a first induction, reinduction, you know, introduction twice. But the presidential campaign was a unmitigated disaster. He, you know, there were a lot of progressives in that primary running for president. And his, he and his team decided, I'm going to out-progressive, you know, the progressive. And so, so he ran far to the left from what he had done in 18. So in 19, he's running around the early, you know, states, jumping on the counters in diners in, Man in, in Manchester, New Hampshire, and Des Moines, Iowa, and all these other places, you know, just spewing out this liberal stuff. He ran so far to the left, he was too far to the left for the progressives in the Democratic primary. He never got a single vote, never, you know, filed for a single uh, uh, state because he was out of the race. And he had such potential. But so that was a road bond. That was a gigantic, you know, bridge out on the road ahead. And I would have tried to rehabilitate that, that, uh, that rep, you know, that image of him. And I would offer, I would add a plan, an economic plan, uh, you know, uh, things in, in how my plan is to deal with crime or my plan is to deal with the border. But he was in denial for eight months that there was even a problem on the border. I mean, you can't watch all those people coming across the border every single day. And, you know, the administration saying, oh, no one walks across the border. I mean, this is, that's the official position of the White House, uh, that nobody walks across the border. That's not how everybody in Texas and the country knows 
They walk across the border all the time. And he, he did not even acknowledge it was a crisis along the border. That you, it's, you, can't win, you can't solve a problem if you don't realize you have a problem. So I would have you know, had a positive agenda. And I think that was his big mistake, is thinking out of, from the get-go, um, I'm just going to attack the governor. And without any predicate that he was a, a decent guy, he wasn't 19 Beto, he was 18 Beto. Uh, and he never had a, never laid out a specific agenda on, you know, a five point plan on anything. I mean, that, was, that was a big mistake. Dave, you told reporters after the election that enthusiasm doesn't win elections. Momentum doesn't win elections. What wins elections is a good candidate and a good message. Right. And, and th- that, that's what you're referring to here with this, right? Right. I mean, you know, you always it's a great benefit to have what is perceived as enthusiasm and uh, momentum. You know, that, that's helpful, but that doesn't win elections. What wins elections is, a, you know, is, is running a real campaign. You, you know, people who are running for re-election and spending all their time on cable TV, whether it's Fox or MSNBC or CNN, instead of talking to voters. I mean, uh, let's be crystal clear. The, the way to raise money in, in the party today, both parties, is online. In order to do that, you know, people who care about the you know left and MSNBC and the right on Fox to see you, and you, they misunderstand the time you you're out there. There's some of these programs on Fox have three million viewers. Well, Texas is tw- is you know twelve percent of the country. So what is twelve percent of three million? And then if you're in a congressional district, it's one thirty fourth of that small number. And so. You know, you're not hitting what you could be doing, talking, doing a sit down interview with you or going and talking to the Rotary Club or talking to the Chamber of Commerce or talking to other groups in your district or your state, which is different when you've got 30 million people. But, you know, if you're running for Congress, you've got to be doing these things. And, you know, when you're out there, you know, being a fanboy, um, you know, for your part, you know, your progressive left or your conservative right, and you're not doing the black block and tackling in your district. You're going to lose. You got to have a, a, a give people who aren't team players a reason to vote for you because the team players are voting for you, and the other team's voters are voting against you. And those ten or eight or twelve percent in the middle, they're you know they're in charge, and then the voters forget that. And that's why rallies are so disingenuous. I think that's the word, Jason. You go to a rally, you say all these great things, and people cheer and they love it. And you feel this momentum, this enthusiasm, you know, read every article about Beto um, when it's talking about, you know, his speed. All those huge crowds, enthusiastic on campuses, the college kids love the guy. Yeah, but they didn't vote for him, you know, and, and when you get back into your truck or car to drive the next event, you're talking to your staff who also believes the way you believe. Say, boy, they really love that stuff. Yeah, they did. And it reinforces the idea, I should be talking about that. When... Nobody undecided fence or goes to an event, like a, goes to a rally. Your supporters go to rallies and you, you're just talking to yourself. You're, you're talking to a bubble. But Dave, you've been able to successfully tap into that, that independent middle there that, that decides every election. Is, is, it, is it just the message making sure you reach them? Because you have to get ads to, to hit them somewhere as well. Um, and, and make sure that you're delivering that message in the ads. How else do you actually get them? Because they don't show up at rallies. Right. So you, you try to do the non, you know, non-political events, right? You want to try to do events where you see that, you, that people come to not to see you, right? You know, not to see some politician, which is what the party, party events or, you know, the grassroots organizational events um, on both the right and left. I mean, you, you want to hit those people in the primary. You want to sh- you want their support. You don't want to diss them, but you know you try to you try to get out there. Honestly, in Texas, there's only one way to do it, and that's with local TV news, because they're the guys, you guys, and your cohorts in the 20 markets in Texas. That's who people trust, and not so much in you know you saying oh the good guy or bad guy, but when you put something on the air, that's when we get eyeballs. We target all the voters. There's you know seven and a half million voters, and we we do a ton of work to see. You know what they are. Are they likely to vote? What's their voting score? What we call turnout score. Zero chance you're going to vote. 100 percent going to vote. Well, if you're an 80, 90, or 100 percent chance to vote, we don't do much with you because if you're a party partisan, because you're going to vote even if, if you like us or not like us, we're not going to change your mind and you're going to vote. 
the people who are low propensity in, in like for governor, for example, the, the sixes and the fives and the fours, you know, down to zero. We try to work with them to get them to vote in a midterm election, which is very difficult. Presidential elections, news, national news, everything they see talks about the two candidates running for president. So it's totally top of mind. Everybody's talking about it. Everyone's, you know, picked a team. Everyone's going to go vote. Those are the voters we try to encourage to get out. It's very difficult. If they were midterm election voters, they'd be a seven, eight, or nine. If they're, you know, in the middle, they do vote, but they don't vote in the off year. And then the people in the middle. So we target, we find out what we, we try to analyze and model what their issues are. And we had eight issues that we modeled on. And so we send digital advertising to the mid propensity Republicans, uh, right of center voters, and the people in the middle, you know, the eights, nines, and tens of middle fence sitters. They're going to vote. And we want them to have the best information that they can about us. And we send digital advertising to them on the issues they care about. So we're not just blabbing to them with a general uh, message for what we put on television. We're talking to them about if it's education or parental rights or if it's property taxes or it's economy or it's border security, whatever the issue is. So they get, you know, advertising, multiple advertisements um, on the same topic leading up <coughs> to vote. And, and for, Dave, Dave, for people who don't understand how that physically works, how you, how you target, let's say, Jason Whiteley, um, how, how do you have a file on me and know what I care about? Well, we, it all starts with the voter file and vote history. And, um, you know, which is all public record, all public record. And then we take that and we uh, do a massive, you know, like 7,000, 10,000 inter person interview. And we do this early on. So people aren't inundated with the survey. We do it by cell and text uh, and phone. And we get a 10,000 interviews. So we say, well, you know, that gets us an idea of the flavor of the of, of where people are, what the issues are, what what's going, where they are in terms of of, of, of liking Abbott or, or Beto. And then we go and we take those people who we put on this 10 by 10 grid, basically. And then we go with a third party. We don't own this information and we match it. Uh, we well, we go and match it to about 10,000 attributes. And basically, every time you fill out one of those phony warranty cards or a subscription, or when you go to HEB with your little card, you know, and you like uh, Wheaties or whatever it is, um, you know, they those companies sell that information to list brokers. And so, if I sell cereal and you just bought Wheaties, I may send you a coupon for Wheaties in a week, so you go buy more Wheaties and get 10% off. We use that same commercial data to build a profile of these people of these 10,000 interviews. And then we take those interviews and we find every, we put all 17 million voters into that grid. So even though we never talked to you, we, we know that you have these attributes and you look just like Jason Whitley, who's a uh, you know, spend-sitting, high-probable voter, but not a partisan. We find all the people that look like you. But you, all the public things you fill out, what kind of car you buy, what, you know, what kind of magazines you subscribe to, and all that stuff. And so... Um, we, that's how we do it. And, and the modelers will say it's 80% accurate. When it's not a, you know, you could be a, a drive a green vehicle and, you know, a hike and do a lot of things that maybe would put you on the fence and be a very conservative, you know, voter. So there's lots of information that gets meshed in. And this is a, a long process and it's an expensive process. But what it does is we are talking to you about the issues we, are, we model that we think you care about. And if you don't care about these other issues, why are we wasting our time? You know, we, we try to focus in. So we can send four sets of messages to everybody who's like you. And we send a separate, you know, four messages to everybody, you know, like uh, somebody else in, in, in the state. And we're able to engage voters on a top, on the ground that they care about. In television advertising is different because you're advertising to a general audience. So what we do there is we take our target universe, which is 11 million people. And we advertise to the, on the programming that they score higher on. The 100 being average, if it's, a, if it's the, your news program you know, scores at 105 or 140 percent of, you know, of our target universe, not all viewers. You could be a low-rated program, but we would go on that because we know our voters that we're trying to target, these ones in the middle, there's 7 million of these independent, persuadable voters, and there's about 3 million 
four hundred million conservative Republican Abbott supporters. Well, we don't advertise those people till early voting. We advertise to seven million all summer long. So we're doing reintroduction to these people. Many of them are new voters into the state. You know, we've had a tremendous, as you know, a tremendous influx of people who come to the yeah. state. You know, 45, 55 more, 40, 55 more likely to be Republican than Democrat. This idea that this invasion of California is turning our state uh, a bluer is not true. But we, we, so we try to, we, it's more generalized advertising. But then back when they get back home or they go on their phone or they're on, on a, a program, um, you know, their, their IP address is popping up. We'll send them an ad on something that we, we, we have modeled to think they care about. So they've seen the general message about the governor, the general message about Beto, when we do contrast on television, on radio, cable, uh, over-the-top television, streaming, you know, all that. And then we, um, we do that with, uh, and then we personalize it with the digital. And we to get, take the file and we give it to a third-party aggregator who, who attaches uh, IP address to every file. We don't actually have that. We, don't, we can't get that data ourselves. But we use a third party who, who does have it, and they, they will then deliver the, the list of, of IP addresses for your, your universe, the Whitley universe, to go out to send the digital ads. It it's, sounds much more complicated. It's very easy for us because we just hire people to do it, but uh, we don't actually have to do the math. But it's, it, it, it's very, very um, time-consuming. It's not like a campaign you can catch on fire in September and do this. You know, you have to have planned this out, and you have to have the resources to do it. Yeah, this is not something you, you just spin up at the last minute, and, and right. you have the experience uh, for this. Hey, let me zoom out just a tad here uh, from Texas and talk about what happened nationally on uh, on Tuesday night. You know, Republicans swept Texas. The governor did, did great again for a third term here. Nationally, though, Republicans did not do as well as, as many anticipated. Do you think that that tones down any of the rhetoric where nationally Republicans try to go after a few more of the folks in the middle? Well, I think, you know, Jason, the, the two things. One is there is a, we had, we saw this in 16, the polling industry writ large is broken. Um, you know, the whole reason people had, how can a thousand person interview survey you know, tell me what, why, why do they take a thousand interviews around the country and say that's what the country thinks? You know, three, 33, three million, 330 million people think what those thousand people say. And the reason is because the science behind polling is that everybody has, it's random. Everybody has an equal shot to be interviewed. And so if you can interview a thousand people out of 300 million, you can have a pretty good, pretty good sample. But that's myth. It's been a myth for 40 years. People have caller ID. People have answering, you know, answering services. People have, you know, uh, uh, ability. They don't know the caller. You know, most people won't take a call from an unknown number. And so, you know, it, it, people decide not to, when it's an interview, they, uh, a survey, they decide not to participate. And so they self-select into a survey. If you take a survey, you're doing it on purpose. And so you, you're, it's not random. It's people who are opting in. Who are the most likely people to opt in? Activists. Who are the most, what activists are most likely to opt in are those that are excited about their campaign. And so I think the, the dependence on media, on polls, and then what the media covers about polls, and the explosion of polling companies who are, you know, trying to do, whether it's for brand name or, you know, marketing or purposes, they do these cheap polls, which they don't spend enough money to get a good sample. So they wait. And I know this is sounds this is boring for a, a program, but so you you need 15 young young guys, 18 to 24, to be a valid sample. Well, they only get six. So what do they do? They add they triple that their view. So you're instead of 18 young youngsters, you have six youngsters, and you're giving them three times the weight. Older citizens are more likely to be home and have a hard line, and so you need 400. You know, it's a large sample in Texas, you 400 seniors and you get 600. So you take those and you weight them down to get to 400. And so you need uh, Asians and you can't find any. So you get three, you weigh it up to 10, you, you know, all these right. things. And it just is not reliable because those six kids could be uh, progressives or they could be conservative, young Republicans or something. And so you don't get a fair you know, representation. And so, it, but it's expensive. 
in uh, 10, 2010, polling, pollsters had to call 19 people to get one completed interview. It's now like 300. And so the cost of, of real surveys has gone through the roof. And as anybody, normal person knows, we have over in Texas is one of the, I think the third largest cord cutting state in the country, meaning they don't have a hard line. They don't have a telephone like their grandmother had on the kitchen wall. They don't, there's a cell phone. And cell phones, you know, you call, your people are driving, so you gotta reschedule the call. And you, or they just don't, they, 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 take, it, they take you off because they don't want, they don't want your interference right. with them. So it's just, they, it's, so we depend on surveys. Not 90% of the political coverage in the country is on surveys. And that's how this wave, whether it's a blue wave or red wave happens. And the second thing is, um, you go look at the advertising around the country of the campaigns of loss, and you'll see that they, what the, and that's, don't listen to what they talk about. You know, their lips are, talk is cheap. Where do they spend their money? And you look at the ad advertising, and, I, and I, I'm very confident that if you were to analyze the advertising losing campaigns, you'll see they, they were not talking about issues that people, the fence sitters care about. They were talking either to their base and, and trying to get them riled up, the thing is, I always say this, you can be really excited and, and love your candidate, but you can only, it doesn't matter how hard you press that screen, you're one vote. You know, you casually press it and I'm going to vote for that guy, or you enthusiastically press the button, it counts the same. And it's, you can't, campaigns just don't get it. Too many campaigns just don't get it. That you, you can't convince a progressive Democrat to vote Republican. You can't convince a, a progressive Democrat to vote for a progressive candidate any more than they're going to. It's the people in the middle. They rule America on November 8th. And that's the campaigns we're not talking about. Talking about issues that are relevant to their daily lives. Well, nobody in America is sitting at work, uh, in their, you know, going to lunch, sitting around the kitchen table, talking about January 6th, who is in this middle. They, they don't care about that. They care about why is milk cost so much? Why is all these issues affected? Can their kid go to soccer this summer? Can their kid go to soccer camp? Can they afford to do that when they're paying 150 bucks to fill up the truck for someone to go to work? It's, 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 it's simple. It's, and it's also math, which I think because of common core is not as simple as it used to be. It, it, what, what do you think is, is the result though for, for the GOP? You've been around Republican politics for, for, for years, Dave. What, what, what happens now after the midterm uh, results nationally? Well, I, you know, I'm, I'm sure privately uh, all, all of the folks who do get elected are thinking, um, you know, well, what happened? You know, well, why did we lose? And there'll be a ton of finger pointing because it certainly can't be them. It certainly can't be their ideas because, you know, people love them, <clears throat> which is bubble talk again. And I, I think you'll see when you slim majorities, you get, you get more um, focused legislation. And I think you get more focused action. Um, you know, in, because, you know, if there's a five vote majority in the House of representatives in Congress, well, it only takes five people to walk to the other side to lose a vote. And so I think you'll see more um, focus on the important, like energy, more focused on the economy. Uh, and there won't be, you know, some of these other more exciting issues um, uh, that, are, that are going on. And the Senate, of course, is not going to be at 60 for, no, for any either side. So getting things done is going to be really hard. Uh, you know, big things, you know, like, you know, crazy things. It just won't happen. And it's, it'll be um, a, a, lot, a lot less um, a bluster and more focused, I think, on meat and potatoes legislation and trying to get the budget under control and, and, and dealing with inflation. A couple last questions. You're super generous with your time here. We're going, we're going to wrap things up. Donald Trump's supposed to make an announcement uh, uh, pretty soon here. What, what do you expect that's going to be? Is he going to run for the White House again? Uh, I, you know, all indicate, I don't know, but I think all indications is he will. And, uh, you know, it would be, um, you know, a starting gun for the, the presidential nomination. And, uh, you know, there's already talk about 2024. Uh, you said with, with Governor Abbott, there's been no discussion beyond anything, uh, beyond the, the governorship for him. But you also said the other day to reporters that we started working this morning on Wednesday. We started working this morning on 2026, the day after the election. What, what do you do already, Dave? Well, one is we will, um, this takes a little bit of time, but we'll gather every single voter who voted, you know, voter number. We don't, we 
don't get their ballot. We don't have any idea how they voted, but we'll, we'll grab all 8.2 million or whatever it was voters match against our file and see, did I, we, we knocked on this person's door. Did they vote for us? Did, did they vote for us? And the other people we knocked on the door, they didn't vote for us and we'll, or both. And so what we'll try to do is figure out, did our digital advertising impact, did our door walking hmm. make an impact? Did our volunteer phone calls make an impact? Uh, we'll look at counties where we did get out the vote events. You know, we did about 35 of them right up. And we'll look at those county turnouts in those areas versus places we weren't able to get to and what those turn out. We, we will try to in, analyze all of the things, we, everything we do, governor's time, our satellite interviews. We look at um, what we did with spending TV money and radio money and all these other things. Because we target individuals for our advertising, I mean, we know we went on certain programs. We didn't go on certain stations. Uh, we don't do certain networks. We do programming specific. So we'll see. Did, did the people who got those advertisements, did they, did they as a cohort, did they turn out better or, or worse? People who didn't get those advertisements, did they turn out the same rate? Therefore, why do we advertise? You know, Or, yeah, those advertisements, those people turned out three or four points more than the people who didn't get them. And so we'll be able to analyze everything we did. And the most important asset the governor has on the campaign side is our data file. And so we will continue to update that as in, and uh, we are also, you know, talking about what we do voter registration, you know, because so many people in Texas move from one county to the other, they need to be re registered. It's always easier to do it in the off year and the downtime when they're getting all these other communications about campaigns. So we'll continue our voter registration, new people coming in the state, uh, registering those that are Republicans or have Republican history in their in Ohio, where they move from. Um, and then, you know, working on, you know, trying to support the governor's efforts uh, during the session, because uh, we have some big things, property tax reform, um, school choice, and, and things like, and continue to, you know, fund the border if Congress doesn't do that. So we, we, we have a lot of things we do in support of what the governor does, but also there's a tons of analytic. Um, we have, a, in January, already set up a session with, what I call our eggheads, a bunch of uh, political scientists who help us by we and we help them because they get research, get the right boring papers in their you know professional journals. But we they've been tracking a bunch of stuff and we'll hear there what they say because it's no sense in internally us saying oh that was a great idea when we rather have somebody dispassionate look at it and say eh, not so much you know that's why we learned like robocalls don't work. I mean they actually have a little bit of negative uh, hurt you when you do robocalls. But everyone loves RoboCop. Cheap, quick. You hit 10 million people in a, in a day and a half, and so uh, it's it's a knee-jerk reaction. Let's do RoboCop. And we, you know, because of our research, we know that it actually doesn't help. And it's you know, so you're, even though it's cheap per voter contact, one of the cheapest things you could do, it doesn't help. We do know texting from last time works. Uh, we did a lot of testing in the primary on texting, and actually texting is very effective. And <clears throat> the problem is you can't do it too often. You get people opted out. So you have to have a balance. Of it. So we'll look at everything we did, and and we do that not for fun, but to get ready. So in nine in two, 26, if the governor decides to run again, we will be prepared to you know run a better campaign. No talk about the White House. You were saying no. And and you mentioned how laser focused you guys are on, on each little aspect of it. How about debates? Um, are are those effective at all? Because I think the playbook, the traditional Republican playbook, which I I think it's your playbook, maybe is just one debate that that's all we need to do, just one debate to get on the record. So uh, we uh, have done a lot of research on this. And so uh, the next star debate uh, we had in September in McAllen, um, you know, 25% of the vo voters say they watched it. 23% uh, said they followed it closely. That's the news after 50% said they paid no attention to it. But it, the, it was our supporters and Beto supporters and you guys, the media, that's who watched. The undecided voters are not watching debates. And uh, you'll never believe this, Chief. The Abbott people thought Governor Abbott won, and the Beto people thought he won. You know, and uh, you got to be you know, kidding right? me, Dave. You got to be kidding me. Here. Yeah, I know it's shocking. It's new breaking news. But so you put a ton of effort. I mean, we prepare aggressively. You know, we try to figure out what are the questions. What are the moderators and the panelists, what do they focus on the last few weeks and few months? Because it's something they'll be comfortable talking about. And you try to figure out what the questions are. And then you try to figure out, well, <clears throat> what's Beto going to say? How's he going to respond? 
In fact, we had uh, former Speaker Dennis Bonin uh, in our mock debates be Beto. He was 100 times better and more like Beto than the Beto who actually showed up that night. Um, and it was, it was great. But it's a time suck. And so all the time, it, it's actually a totally a logistical thing. All the time you spend in debate prep is time you're not you know, doing interviews, you're not campaigning, <clears throat> you're not going around the state talking about fentanyl or, or crime or border or parents' rights, taxpayer protection. And so it takes hundreds of hours of staff time, hundreds of hours of the candidate's time to get ready for a debate that doesn't matter. And the thing is doing no debate <clears throat> like Hobbs did in Arizona, the Secretary of State Democrat candidate for governor against Slake, who was the Republican candidate, you know, that became a, a big deal. So you don't want to have, you know, in reality, debates, uh, you can have so much better, you know, doing joint form, uh, doing, you know, interviews, long form interviews. They're a lot better because uh, they, they use, they last, they have shelf life. People clip them and they use them in the newscast and they uh, be on the program and they use them in the you know, down the road for a few weeks, you know, debates, once the debate story is over, other than some pictures to cover a story you're doing on the, you know, pitch, still pictures or, or video of the candidate sitting on the stage, no one talks about them. And so um, it's just, uh, um, it, it's just, it's, it's all about practice. It's nothing to do with uh, the, the, the actual debate itself or the answers or the questions. It's, it's just the amount of work it takes and distracts the campaign from what we're trying to do. Dave, it's always uh, enlightening and instructive to talk to you. Congratulations again on a huge win on Thank Tuesday. You. you bet. Have a good weekend. So, you know, the last thing I asked him there, Wheeler, about the gubernatorial debate, mm -hmm. I, I've always been interested. Okay, why do we only get one gubernatorial debate? I, honestly, I'd like to see both candidates next to each other uh, without scripts. Right. Actually, you know, going back and forth. Let's see who can think on their feet. Let's see who actually... Uh, gets flustered or doesn't get flustered. And with different moderators each time, too, because that can make a difference as well, you know, and, and, and they may think of totally different questions to bring up and different subject matter. Yeah, and his response you just heard there was, they're a time suck. The, mm -hmm. the amount of time that it takes to prepare for a, a, a debate, what the other side might say, uh, et cetera, then, you know, it, it just burns up too much time when you have a finite amount of time uh, as you approach election day. Mm. And then the biggest thing, Wheeler, that he said in there, I don't think it's the biggest, but it's just like the part that, bl that blew me uh, blew me up is the fact they're already starting to work on Abbott's 2026 it just, gubernatorial it goes, campaign. It goes on and on. And, you know, I believe him because it does just go like that. But I also don't believe him in a way because I think, I, I don't know, it, are they also working on a potential 2024 campaign for, for president? Uh, because that has been widely circulated, widely rumored. You know that they, they've they got to at least be entertaining that thought or, you know, maybe running a little poll or doing a little something, testing some waters. So I do. OK, I'll believe that you're working on 2026. I'll also believe that you might be working on 2024, maybe. You just can't underestimate somebody from Texas who has won handily three in a row, not maybe giving that a thought. Yeah, he says, you know, he, he, I asked him that. And he said that that we haven't discussed that yet. Mm. And, you know, maybe they haven't discussed it since the election was just last week and he had to get reelected first before you can really consider running for president. But I, I don't know. You know, I, I reached out to a guy named Matt Makoviak from uh, mm -hmm. from Travis County. He's a, a Republican political consultant with a number of years under his belt, too. He's a Travis County Republican Party chair. And, and he said that he thinks that Abbott will seriously consider a 2024 run, but it's all going to really kind of depend on what Donald Trump does. You know, Donald Trump has his big announcement coming out the 15th, this right. coming Tuesday, uh, where he's going to supposedly announce whether he's running for the White House or not. But Matt said... On the Republican side, he said it doesn't matter what Trump does. This is a different Republican Party than it was just a year ago. Forget what Trump does. There are still going to be Republican candidates running for running for the White House, mm -hmm. despite Trump. I th uh, he thinks DeSantis, Jason Wheeler, uh, a number of other folks <laughs> might really get into that race. You know, I'll tell you this. Uh, I, I won't be running for any political office, but I, I, I'll tell you this. Um, he says it's a different political party than it was a year ago. Um, I think the Republican Party is also different 
than it was a week ago. We've been hearing that from all corners. I mean, look at some of these, uh, you know, Rupert Murdoch owned uh, companies and the things that they've been saying in this past week. This is a different Republican Party if you if you listen to, you know, some people who are real close to it than it was a week ago just because of what happened in this election. Yeah, and, and you're 100% on, on that one. Um, I did ask about Ted Cruz, too, mm-hmm. not to get too far off the topic of, of Dave Carney here and the winning Abbott campaign. Yeah. But I, I said, well, how about Ted Cruz? Because he's already out on his 17-state you know, national book tour. We talked about that in the Hangover episode uh, right after the election. Yeah. And, and Matt Makoviak said, you know, I, I don't know if Ted Cruz is actually going to run simply because he's also up for re-election to the U.S. Senate mm-hmm. in 2024. Mm-hmm. So he would have to give that seat up in order to run for the White House. He couldn't He couldn't do both. Right. Um, so that's interesting to see whether Cruz would, would uh, which one he would go for. Yeah, do you want I, it badly enough? I think he'd enough. probably keep the Senate. Yeah, do you want it badly enough to let go of the thing that you have? Um, and, and, and also, I mean, uh, that's going to be an interesting race, too, since we're thinking about future elections. It's going to be a very interesting race. That was super tight this last time for him. Um, I, I'd be curious to see who the Democrats try to put up to uh, run against Ted Cruz. My thing is, if Beto could not do it mm-hmm. in, in 2018, yeah, there may be a Democrat out there in, in the fold. But if you look, if you look at Beto O'Rourke, who was brand new on the scene, essentially, he was wasn't really known outside El Paso. Yeah, he had he had cash, he had enthusiasm, he had momentum. He got within a few points. If, if Aurora couldn't do it, I mean, and, and you're not willing to run, I don't know who else there, there might be. I don't know. Uh, Ted Cruz is a very polarizing figure, though, too. So, uh, you know, that that may help them as well. Uh, it just depends on who they put up. Yeah, indeed so. Well, listen, uh, I, I still have uh, a few uh, splashes left of this graduate beer. But <laughs> I think Dave, I think Dave Carney is just, you know, it, forget which party he's on. He's a, he's a hired gun here. He works for Republicans right. and always has worked for Republicans. At the end of the day, you, you got to win elections regardless of which party you, you're in. And, and the fact that Dave is willing to walk us through how he does that uh, is, is, is enlightening to me. It's instructive to me. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, my final thought on that is, you know, you know, we're talking about all of these other future elections and, you know, who might the Democrats put up and, and this sort of thing. Um, you know, candidate quality does matter, but you also have to have people like Dave Carney behind the scenes who are super talented and can just put their finger on the wrist there and feel the pulse of the voters and figure out which direction to go in and direct a candidate. You know, it doesn't matter. You can have the greatest candidate in the world. If you don't have good people behind the scenes helping them to put the pieces together, uh, it's not going to matter. Yeah, indeed so. So uh, it's it, it wouldn't matter. And, and the fact that, that, that someone who has a winning record is willing to open up the recipe book and show show the rest of us is uh, is is good. I think it's good for Texas politics. Yeah. We'll see if, if Democrats learn anything from it. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, huh? Fascinating episode. <laughs> Thanks, uh, everybody, for listening. We'll do it all again next week.